You're listening to Season 2 of the Penny's Hill Practice Podcast. This episode was recorded in February 2021. Hello again, and a very warm welcome back to our podcast brought to you by Penny's Hill Practice. As always, I'm Dr. Jeff Hamp. Hello, I'm Dr. Sam McGinley, and we hope you are all keeping safe and well, as always, during this ongoing lockdown. Now, did you listen to last week's podcast? We had a great podcast with Alison Woodward from Stars Dorset, and we discussed what Stars Dorset do and how they can help. We had a really good response, so do have a listen after you've heard this week's episode. And have you listened to the first of our coronavirus immunisation FAQ podcasts? Um, if you haven't, go and have a look, listen to the first one. But also do email us in any questions you might want us to consider for the second one. Uh, we will be rolling out another podcast. The email address is pennyshill.podcast at dorsetgp.nhs.uk. We've also got our podcast form, which is encrypted uh, via our website. And we've also got Twitter now. Yep, that's right. We have joined Twitter. And our Twitter handle is the PHP Podcast. Anyway, we think last week's episode was really, really good. And so please do have a listen. Uh, Definitely. It was a great episode. uh, And we've actually had some fantastic feedback on Twitter. So do have a look. Um, uh, Remember, um, Alison offered to run some grounding sessions if you were interested. So do let us know if you are. Um, Now, this week we have part one of two episodes coming up on dementia. Yes. Now, this episode is an introduction to dementia. And then in a few weeks time, we will have a part two And we're excited to announce that we're hoping to be joined by the team from Dementia UK for this episode. So please make sure you're subscribed on your podcast app to be notified when that episode goes live. Right then, before we start, if you have an idea for a podcast you think we should record or you just want to say hello and get in touch, then why not email us at pennyshill.podcast at dorsetgp.nhs.uk or go onto our website and fill in the contact form there or, as Sam has said, find us on Twitter at the PHP Podcast. And if you have any ideas for guests, then please email them to us and we'll see what we can do. We like a challenge, so do let us know who you'd like to hear us interview. So before we get going, just a quick reminder, as we like to provide you with, that uh, really good infection control behaviours are remaining important. So remember to wash your hands really well with hot water and soap. Wash them frequently and for at least 20 seconds. Remember to do this when you get into your house or to work, definitely before you eat or drink, after you've coughed, sneezed or blown your nose, and before you touch your face, mouth, eyes or nose. And remember, if you cannot safely socially distance wherever you are, it is best to cover your mouth and nose with a mask or a face covering, even if you're not indoors. You might be outside, but find there's no easy way of maintaining that two metre distance from other people. So the best thing to do is cover your mouth and your nose with a mask or a face covering. Brilliant. So shall we get going? And we hope you find it really useful today. So sit back, relax, and we'll see you at the other side. Okay, Sam, so what is dementia? Well, Jeff, dementia is an umbrella term we use to describe a range of progressive neurological disorders. That is, these are conditions affecting the brain. There are over 200 subtypes, but there are five most common ones, and these are Alzheimer's disease, vascular dementia, dementia with Lewy bodies, uh, frontotemporal dementia, and mixed dementia it's quite possible for people to have a combination of these different types of dementia and this type of dementia where there are different forms is 
called mixed dementia. Okay, Sam, and then why do people get dementia? Do we know? Well, Jeff, the brain is made up of millions of nerve cells, which are called neurons. These are communicating with each other all the time. And in dementia, these nerve cells become damaged. Um, and this prevents, quite simply, messages from passing between them um, and to other parts of the brain. And this can mean that the body and the brain stop functioning normally. Dementia most commonly affects people over the age of 65, but it can affect people of any age. We're expecting a rise in the number of people living with dementia in the UK to rise over 1 million. Now, we do know some risk factors for dementia. It can be helpful to think of these as irreversible and reversible factors. Now, the irreversible factors are increasing age and a family history in the case of Alzheimer's disease. Now, the reversible factors are heavy intake of alcohol, smoking, any situation that increases the risk of atherosclerosis, which is the buildup of plaque in blood vessels, such as high cholesterol, and also diabetes is an independent risk factor. So shall we talk briefly about the different types? Sounds like a good idea. So the overarching concept to know is that dementia is considered a progressive neurological disorder and should not be confused with mild cognitive impairment of ageing, although this latter problem can increase the risk of developing dementia. So Alzheimer's disease is considered the most common form of dementia and this results from a buildup of protein plaques and tangles within the brain around the neurons. These proteins affect the message transmission within the brain and ultimately lead to the brain cells dying off. This process causes usually a fairly gradual change in things like concentration, memory, particularly short-term memory, communication skills and word finding. There is lots of research in this area that's, that's ongoing to try and treat or prevent these plaques or tangles of protein from forming. And there are currently some medications already available um, to, to treat this condition, which we will cover in a future podcast. Now, in vascular dementia, the person has evidence of a problem with the blood supply to the brain. This can happen at a microscopic level, but often is linked to a major event which causes a stroke or a mini stroke or a transient ischemic attack. This sort of dementia will progress, but it takes a very different course to Alzheimer's because any changes usually relate to another blood supply event. And we tend to see a deterioration in dementia in what we call a stepwise pattern. The next type we we're going to mention is dementia with Lewy bodies, which results from abnormal deposits of protein within the brain. These deposits are called alpha-synuclein, which start to group together in the areas of the brain that control memory and movement. These areas of the brain start to work less effectively and eventually will die off. The protein can deposit in different areas of the brain, and so this form of dementia can present in different ways. Now, frontotemporal dementia is a form of dementia that affects, as the name suggests, the frontal and the temporal lobes of the brain. Now, the frontal lobes are important for personality, social functioning, decision-making, problem-solving, and empathy. Pick's disease is a form of dementia that affects predominantly these lobes. The temporal lobes are important for word-finding speech, comprehension and language. And if these lobes are the lobes that are predominantly affected, the person may have a progressive speech problem. Now, the thing to know is that dementia can often develop very slowly and the symptoms can be very subtle at first. This often means that whilst the symptoms might be noticed, the person is managing day-to-day -day life without obvious difficulty. And so it can take a long period of time before a diagnosis is made. The typical symptoms of dementia do vary. Many will first note a change in short-term memory. Other symptoms can include changes in communication, word finding or comprehension of tasks, or even conversations, 
Or it might be that concentration levels and thought processes change. Or it may be the first presentation in change in personality, mood, behavior, or the way somebody interacts socially. So if you are concerned about your memory, we'd want you to be discussing it with your doctor. Um, Your doctor will listen to your concerns, ask some further questions, including undertaking a brief memory screening test with you, and then they'll arrange some initial investigations that involve some blood tests. Now, these tests are done to help us exclude some other causes for memory problems, such as vitamin deficiencies and thyroid problems. But when you speak to your doctor, be prepared to talk about your mood. Any depression, anxiety can also lead to memory difficulties. Okay, Dr. Hamp, we're going to run a a memory test for you over the phone today. Okay. So... uh... Can you tell me what year it is? Um, Yes, the year is 2021. And what month are we in? We're in February. I'm going to give you a name and address to remember. John Smith, 42 High Street, Bedford. Please repeat that back. Okay, uh, John Smith, 42 High Street, Bedford. Okay, great. Could you tell me what time it is roughly? Uh, It's almost 5pm. Could you count backwards from 20 down to 1? Okay, 20, 19, 18, 17, 16, 15, 14, 13, 12, 11, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Could you say the months of the year in reverse order? Okay, uh, December, November, October, September, August, July, June, May, April, March, February, January. Great, thank you. And what was the name and address I gave you earlier? Uh, John Smith, 42 High Street, Bedford. Great, thank you. That's the end of our little memory test. Thank you. So that was an example of a very brief but um, well-tested cognitive impairment test. Um, It's been checked uh, nationally and has been approved for use for screening for short-term memory difficulties. And the way it works is that we ask you to remember a name and address and then we distract you by asking you to do some simple tasks and then ask you to, to see if you can remember the name and address again. And it helps us to gain information in screening you for, for memory difficulties. It is important to say, isn't it, Sam, that we also use um, other validated tests as well. So the test that we might ask you may not be that exact test. And there are other ones um, and sometimes they involve drawing pictures as well, don't they? They do, yeah. And actually, some of the other validated tests have a second component, um, which involves a questionnaire for friends and relatives mm-hmm. and asks them what they might have noticed. And um, again, we try to keep the, the set of questions fairly standard so that um, everybody is asked essentially the same questions. Um, and we know, therefore, that it's, has, as Jeff said, been validated. And we'd encourage you to seek review sooner rather than later. And we appreciate it can be very scary, but in some ways it can also be relieving to find out the cause. And the sooner the problem's diagnosed, then the sooner any treatment, if appropriate, can be put into place. Now, once you've had your discussion with your GP and your blood tests are back, you'll be able to make a decision with your GP about the next step. Any irregularities in the blood test will be acted on. And if they're all normal, you can then be referred for a formal review at the memory clinic if you choose to do so. At the clinic, you'll have a more detailed memory assessment and a scan of the brain. You'll then have a second clinic appointment where a formal diagnosis will be made. And at that point, they'll discuss the treatment options available. We are going to discuss uh, treatment, wider management and other support in a separate upcoming podcast, hopefully with Dementia UK. So keep listening out for that. But meanwhile, we just wanted to go over a couple of other bits and pieces. 
So we mentioned earlier about things that can cause memory difficulty. That can include symptoms that might be linked to your emotions. For example, if you've been feeling low, anxious or stressed, we know that this can impact on short-term memory and cause a, a mimic of a, of a short-term memory problem. We encourage you to think about this as a cause if you've been concerned about your memory. Uh, physical chemical causes are also not that infrequent, so we know that things like low vitamin B12 levels or an underactive thyroid do exist, and uh, that's why we always screen for those when we're first talking to people about a memory concern. Now, another condition that can present with memory problems that isn't a dementia is something that we call delirium. Now, this will usually cause a sudden and a very fluctuating change in somebody's memory, usually with quite obvious and dramatic disorientation. There's usually an underlying problem such as an infection causing delirium and your GP will be considering this when they review a person with memory problems. If you are concerned about a friend or a relative, please do encourage them to talk to their doctor. Although you can inform a doctor or a surgeon of your concerns, anybody at the surgery will not be able to further discuss a person without their prior permission. And what about the emotional impact of receiving a diagnosis? Well, we completely appreciate this is really hard news for everybody involved. People can feel quite hopeless at this time, but there is a lot of support out there to help with adjusting to the diagnosis, learning how to manage the cognitive or the behavioural or personality changes that may or may not happen, and learning how to continue to communicate with friends and family. It is true that everybody will respond to a new diagnosis of dementia quite differently. Some will be relieved, others may withdraw or suppress how they're feeling. So it is important to think broadly about what matters to the person receiving the diagnosis and how to get them suitable and appropriate support early. We'll go through more on this next time with the Dementia UK team. Now, if you have experience of living with somebody with dementia, maybe as a carer, a friend or another relative, we'd like to hear from you via our podcast contact form. You may have tips for others or information or support you found useful. You might have resources such as books or advice that uh, you found really helpful and would like to share with others. So please do get in touch and we will let people know what you say. For further information, you might like to take an early look at the Dementia UK website. Dementia UK is a charity that provides a wealth of information and their goal is to provide patients with a special service called Admiral Nurses. More on this to follow. They're very excited to be joining us. And that brings us to the end of our first of our two episodes on dementia. We hope you found it useful information. It is a condition we're seeing more of as people live longer, isn't it, Jeff? It certainly is, Sam. And uh, we're also seeing younger people being diagnosed now, as you said earlier. People traditionally think of dementia as affecting only older people. But in fact, as, as we said, it can affect younger people too. Now, very briefly before we go, I'm just going to change the topic ever so slightly. If you're in the southwest and you need some help to cope with life in the lockdown, we'd like to let you know about some free online courses. Yes, managing long-term physical or mental illness can be stressful, tiring, lonely, and with lockdown, it's just got a lot harder. The NHS and a service called Hope help to overcome problems effectively provide a free six-week online course where you can meet others in the same situation, learn how to cope better, feel more in control and develop resilience. There are 12 courses available in 2021. The upcoming dates are the 16th or 18th of March, the 27th or 29th of April, the 8th or the 10th of June, the 20th or the 22nd of July, the 31st of August or the 2nd of September. 
Yes, and you can complete the course online at your own pace with support from trained facilitators. Find out more at the website in our podcast description or email hope.devon at nhs.net or ring 01803 210493. That's 01803 210493. The programme is run by trained facilitators and is evidence-based. Based on 20 years of research from Coventry University, it has been shown that the programme leads to significant and meaningful improvement in the knowledge, skill and competence of those attending to self-manage. Okay, Jeff. So tell us what's coming up next week. Well, next week, Sam, we've got a very interesting podcast about tetanus. Spring is approaching and more of you are going to be out in the gardens and this is an important thing to know about at this time of year. So do make sure you're listening and don't forget if you have any questions for the second part of our Coronavirus Immunisation FAQ special podcast, email us or use our contact form on Twitter. Yes, and if you've enjoyed listening today, please do let us know. Let a friend know, leave us a like or a star rating on your podcast app. Make sure you subscribe on your app so that you will know when the next week's episode goes live, which is usually a Monday. Well, we hope you all have a lovely week and a happy Valentine's Day on Sunday, and we'll see you on Monday. So look after each other and look after yourselves. Bye. Bye. The Penny Seal Practice podcast is created, written and hosted by Dr. Jeff Hamp and Dr. Sam McGinley. It is produced by Dr. Jeff Hamp. Any references to infection control and social distancing were valid in the UK at the time of recording.